Today we have a special live episode of First Generation Burden. It's the first time I've sat in the same room to record with someone since before the pandemic, and I sit down with my friend Esteban Serrano, creative director for Yo MTV Raps, the relaunch currently on Paramount Plus. This is a really great episode, episode 71. Check it out. Welcome to First Generation Burn, a podcast dedicated to immigrants of the creative community. My name is Rich Tu, and I'm your host. Oh, hey, just looking at the shoes. Yeah, yes, that's right. like crazy. The LV uh, Chelsea boots, so to speak. Uh, so this is our first live recording in almost two and a half years. Uh, today we're at Soho House in New York City. We have a very intimate crowd at the Vinyl Room at Soho House. Want to give us some energy? And today on First Gen Burden Podcast, we have my friend Esteban Serrano. Uh, you can blow. Yeah. There we go. Born and raised in West Philadelphia. West Philly, a block. <laughs> all right, I won't do that. Anymore. This entire podcast will be all crowd work. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to be a, a hype man on stage. So Yo, that was you're good my... at it. You're good at it. We're going to get I'll into chill. it. Uh, Esteban has been a contributor to hip-hop and I would say pop culture um, in its many forms for close to 20 years. He's also had a hand in giving artists like ASAP Rocky, 2 Chains, and Kendrick Lamar their first TV appearances. We'd love to talk about that. He's currently a television producer for MTV, my former home, mm. uh, recently helping to develop and launch the Yo! MTV Raps brand in Asia and the UK to record-setting debuts. Shout out to you. Uh, now he faces the biggest task of his career by bringing Yo! MTV Raps back to the United States yes. as the show's creative director. It's currently on Paramount Plus. Uh, everyone give a, another round of applause to Esteban Serrano. <laughs> all right, so Esteban, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I just thank want to you start. for having me. Oh, it's it is an honor a pleasure. to sit next to you, <laughs> creative director of the year. Hello. <laughs> Give it up for Rich. I mean, come on. Uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. This conversation is about you, but I appreciate that love. Uh, first off, I just want to start off the convo in the way we start off all of our conversations by asking you to tell us a little a little bit about who you are and where you're from. I am, there. just like you said, a West Philadelphia, born and raised. You know, that bar is a big big bar in my life because in West Philly, I'm from a neighborhood called Winfield, and that was where Will Smith, Fresh Prince, was from. He was from literally three blocks away from where I'm from, and he had a huge impact on my childhood because he lived in my neighborhood. He was a humongous rapper at the time, not even like Fresh Prince level, just as, a, as an artist. And we both got our haircut at the same barbershop. And every Saturday, I would sit. Now, this was before appointments. You show up first come, first serve to this barbershop. <laughs> and you sit there from 9 a.m. until they felt like giving you a haircut. But in would walk Prince, and he would sit in the chair immediately and get a cut. And while he was... What year was, was this? This was maybe... Oh, man, maybe 90, 92, 92 maybe even okay. 89. Oh, okay. Around in that, that time Right before frame. NBC entered his life. Yes. Before post he... Post-Grammy. Post-Grammy. Right. right. Right at the height of the Grammy-ness. I think because right. he, he was still in high school 
at the time. Remember, he had he had a he had um, parents just don't understand. I believe he was in eleventh grade. Wow! And when wow. that record was humongous, especially in the city, it was huge. But people would come to the barber shop and battle him. And like people don't understand like how much of an MC like Fresh Prince was. He would destroy dudes in a line <laughs> while getting his hair cut. That was the most hip-hop thing I'd ever seen in my life. And that was when I like really fell in love with hip-hop in terms of the artistry, yeah. you know, the battle element of it, you know, all of the things that kind of surrounded, you know, surrounded that. So, yeah, I'm a West Philadelphian. Um, you know, I grew up in an amazing time. I was born in 81, but I also oh, was... I was born in 81, too. Hey, yeah, we're both go. 81 babies. That's right. Um, and I was born to 20-year-old parents who did not filter anything for right. me. So I got everything uncensored. My father, um, Puerto Rican, super into hip-hop, super into like anti-establishment hip-hop, which was like uh, Public Enemy, NWA, you know, that, that, um, that vibe, and played it very loud mm. in his Eddie Bauer edition Bronco all the time. He had and the Eddie Bauer Bronco. It was fire, yes. Wow. And we were we would never wear a seatbelt, and he would put all the chairs down in the back, and we just bounced all around the back <laughs> of the car because we were just reckless children to a twenty year old father. So, yeah. but yeah, so he played a big part of my life because that's also he exposed me to a lot of salsa and merengue, mm. and that you know that vibe and that energy is a huge part. And you know, being a Puerto Rican. My my father always pointed out every Puerto Rican that was ever famous because we needed to know, like right. you know, immediately claiming right. anyone that he even had like a drop of blood. That was it. You know, yeah. he's Puerto Rican. Filipinos right? do you know the same thing. Puerto Rican, right? Yeah, I know, right? And it's dope because my when I like married Olivia Rodrigo, I married you know? a Filipino, yeah. and my dad yes. was like, "Yo, they're like." They're like Puerto Rican Asians. Like they're the same people. We come, we 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 eat the same stuff. We, you know, it's it's very it's a lot of similarities culturally there. But um, yeah, my mom is black, um, and she gave me all the soul and the gospel and R and B, and you know that energy. So I grew up with like just an amazing, amazing uh, um, variety of music. And my grandfather yeah. is a vinyl, a jazz vinyl collector. Mm. And so he just all he played was some amazing jazz. So wow. yeah, super musical. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot. Like there's an awesome mix of musical energy in your life, where not only was it in your ears, in the car, in the house, but also literally at the barber shop, like bigger than life, where right. it felt like tangible to you. Did any of that inform your? Did did it feel? Did that inform the your your career path or your goals like what did you think you were going to do uh, it a thousand percent informed my career path like so from the moment I was exposed to hip-hop everything I got my hands on was hip-hop so my first ever record like my first ever vinyl player was a yellow um Sesame Street Big Bird mm. record player <laughs> but it only played like hip-hop like wow. it was like stuff came with it, like little stories. Just all of those discs got tossed. Yeah, and it was Fresh Prince, it was Slick Rick, it was yeah. like whatever I could get my hands on vinyl. 
And so I don't know if you guys, I don't know how old the people are in this room, but there was this uh, this technology in the 80s called Teddy Ruxpin. Anybody ever heard of Teddy Ruxpin? Yeah. Teddy Ruxpin was a teddy bear that had a cassette player in his back and his mouth moved to the cassette tape. So immediately he became my boombox. Yeah. So I would take my father's NWA tapes and I would put it in and Teddy would be <laughs> in NWA. Everything I could get my hands on became a vehicle for hip hop for yeah. me. Were you one of those kids that would sit, because I was one of these kids, that would sit by the radio and then record Pause songs tapes. off the radio? Yes, yes. I just countless tapes that would just stack like to the, you know, to like next to like a shoebox next to my bed of all just stuff that would just wait on Saturday mornings, just wait for the song that I hadn't had, would always cut like five or six seconds off at the right, top. Right, right, right. So it was like I would play it in the car, but there were all radio versions, so were there no curses, so my parents would be okay-ish with it. Right. But it would just be like this weird mishmash of mixes. That was me yeah. all day. But here's what I would do. So it was two levels. Um, in Philly, we had a show on Power 99 called Radioactive, and that was the show where, like, you heard, like, hip-hop, like, stuff that you had never heard of before, and so I would just get, like, the 120-minute tapes and just record, and I would never stop. Most people stop for commercials. Yeah. I would never stop for commercials. I would just let the whole thing rock, and I would oh, have really? it all, and then you got, like, I the would... like, PC Richards audio. Facts. And then I'd have, my grandfather had a dual cassette, like, side by side. So then I would know when to cue the songs, and I would make my, my pause tape with no, uh, with no interruptions, oh. just straight up music. Oh, and wow, then the I would also do that with VHS tapes recording Yo. Like, I would record that every time I saw it, or Rap City, or... Um, we had, um, in Philly, we had a show called Urban Expressions that would come on, on, I think, Fridays or yeah. Saturdays in the <laughs> Avenue. And I would record those videos because they were, like, more curated to, like, Philly sound. Yeah. And so, were yeah, bro. Were you big bro. into Video Music Box, too? I didn't have See, cable in Philly, we up. didn't have Video Music oh, Box because that was that. a New York local thing. But they yes. did bootleg it. That's and you could buy the bootlegs on 52nd Street in Philly. So I did get put on. So for me, the box was um, was this jukebox. You ever you ever heard oh, of the like box? You, you would text or you'd call yes. for the video. Yep. I got it like a scrambled version of my house because I didn't grow up with cable. Word. So I'd watch like the the most snowed out version Word. of the box, like channel like fifty something. Word. If it came in, if I was lucky enough. See, cable changed my life because. Um, I was when when I kind of be really became of a, of of the age to like hit the streets. Yeah, it was cr the crack era. It was like a wild time in Philly. So right around that time is when we got cable, which was when I was able to keep my ass in the house and record all of the videos and watch you know and watch it. So like that was like my window outside. Like I didn't want to see what was really going on outside my window at that time. So yeah. I was watching. TV, but cable was everything. Like, and then, and you know, this is another very Philly thing. We got this thing called Puerto Rican cable, which was <laughs> when you would steal cable. <laughs> and we had this. So my uncle worked for. I think the statute of limitation will allow me to tell this. Yeah, story. I'm sure. My it's uncle fine. worked for Cablevision, 
and he would he was able to unlock the cable boxes to give you every channel, oh, pay per view channels, yeah. HBO, Spice, you had the plug. Playboy, all the channels. Yeah, and that was Puerto Rican cable. That's amazing. I have a question for uh, about your upbringing because a lot of the show and a lot of our guests talk about identity and the way that identity informs like their their current selves and also their future selves. I'd love to hear a little bit about the the expectations that your parents had on you. And in, in consideration of your environment, and also in consideration even of your creative path, were they open to your creativity? Was that some, or was that something that you felt you had to keep within yourself, or within a personal circle that found a larger expression later? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, my I had a very low uh, expectation set by my parents. My father is a genius. He's a medical scientist. He's like a warden graduate. Like, he's brilliant. My mother is also a genius. My sister graduated high school at 13 years old. Whoa. My other, my other sister, my younger sister, that was my oldest. My younger sister is the youngest vice principal in Jersey history, and she has a master's degree, and she's brilliant. And <laughs> I was none of the above. <laughs> I was like C student if I really put that effort in. Yeah. I was like a C student. So for my <laughs> my parents was like as long as you ain't a bum. Yeah. You're good to go with me. So when I you know they loved they knew how much I love music. So um and at that time another thing that kind of, you know, the only way in to hip hop in my from my perspective at the time was to be an artist. I didn't know that, you know, um Music production existed. I didn't know that television or filmmaking. I didn't know any of those things. So I started out trying to rap. And so when my father saw me, like, always trying to rap and asking him to buy me equipment and things like that, um, he was like, yo, man, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to give you all this money and, you know, I'm not going to buy you this NPC, you know, uh, 2000 XL, you know, this thing is like a $4,000 piece of equipment. So he bought me a karaoke machine and said, make me a demo tape. <laughs> and if you make me a demo tape and I'm impressed by your skill, then I'll invest whatever you want. I kind of love that though. Yo, he was my first like, like record label. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my parents. Yeah, like, like, pr like prove yourself and then, yeah. and then further investment. Right. I mean, it, it, it pulled in, in, it set the tone for my whole career. My whole career has been like solving problems right. and challenges. So, you know, um, like I had to figure out like what beats. I had to figure out how to record myself and a beat at the same time. I had to figure out all of these different things. And it was a demo. In my mind, a demo was multiple records. It wasn't just one. It wasn't like I could freestyle and impress my father. Like my father like knows music and my mom they know music so it wasn't like it, I literally had to cater an album to my parents you know what I'm saying yeah so it was it was a very specific audience so it taught me how to make to create for an audience yeah it taught me how to problem solve and troubleshoot technology wise and then it also challenged my creativity do you still have that <laughs> I don't have that particular. Also, demo. has your have your kids listened to it? Yes, my father makes them <laughs> listen to my music. 
Yeah, man. It, it wasn't bad, I will say. It wasn't amazing, but it definitely wasn't. I wasn't a whack MC. Yeah. By any stretch of the imagination. No, no. I imagine that you were like actually pretty good at it, and you probably could have like taken that career path if you if you wanted it. So that's what I, I tried. Like when I, I only I only went to college because I wanted to pursue music in some way, shape, or form, and it was there that I got into making like actually shooting and filming performances and creating music videos. Where'd you go to college? I went to this place called the Art Institute in Philly. It was on the back of the Source magazine. Oh, That's okay, the reason yeah. that I went there. All right. But yeah, so um, that was where, but I was on that path and that's how I found. And then, you know, when I when I got my internship at MTV, I was like, I was still trying to be an right. MC, but I was like, wait a minute, I'm at, I'm going to these different record labels to get these music videos and I'm meeting product managers. I'm meeting, you know, um, the video directors. I'm meeting yeah. all of these different job descriptions that work within hip hop that support these artists. I'm like, I don't have to be the artist. Yeah. So that's when it like opened, opened all my eyes. I want to hear about how you got the internship at MTV. I was looking it up and it looks like you were there of, you started there like 2003, 2004, 2004. Yeah, so like right after college, right? Yeah. No, age. during. During college? So I set it up oh, that okay. way um, because I went to school in Philly and I wanted to make sure that when I interned, it could be my only focus. I had mm. no classes. I had no obligations in Philly so I could be in the building five yeah. days a week. What well, Was MTV always a destination? That was the only place. Really? The only place I wanted to work in specifically TRL. I was about to say, can you paint the picture of what the broadcast landscape was at the time? TRL. It was TRL. It was no 106 in Park yet. Right. It was TRL was the juggernaut. Like yes. that was the only show that was a music pop culture daily live show. That's yes. where all the music was broke. Was that still the Carson Daily years? Yeah. Post Carson. Well, when I got in, it was post. But when I fell in love, it was Carson. Oh, of course, yeah. Same thing for yeah. all of us. Yeah. For sure. For and sure, man. So what was, when when you were literally, I just love to hear where your headspace was, when you go in and you want this internship, is it scary, intimidating, or you're just like, no, I'm going to bust down the door. Listen. the only place. It was all of those things, and here's why. So again, I found my college in the back of the Source magazine, and right now it's no longer an accredited university, so I probably <laughs> don't even have a degree from there anymore. But that's never here nor there. So when I went to the resource center and was like, I want to intern at MTV, their response was, we don't, we don't have any connections yeah. at MTV. We can't get you an internship there. And I was like, okay, well, how am I supposed to get in? And so long story short, I found an email address to an HR person and I emailed them and they didn't respond. And a week went by and I emailed them again and they didn't respond for a week. And now I'm like coming up to when I need to have an internship or I'm going to have a semester that just doesn't have anything. And yeah. like I'm, so I emailed that next morning, two weeks after, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to email you every day until you <laughs> respond. And if you don't respond by tomorrow, I'll email you every hour until you respond. I literally just copy and pasted the same email. Was this just a strategy you employed, or did you, did you tell them that, like, almost? I told them that to warn them that I'm going <laughs> to flood their inbox if they don't respond to me. And I want to say, well, I said, I'm going to email you every day, and if you don't respond, I'll email you every hour. I, I emailed... <laughs> 
I emailed them two more days, and then and then it started the hourly, and maybe three hours in, they were they responded to me, and they were super reluctant to give me this internship. We never heard of your school before. Mm. We don't know if this is a real school. You live two states away. We don't know if you can make the commitment. All of the excuses in the world, and I just kept responding. Just let me interview. Just give me an interview. Let me interview, and you know, let give me the opportunity and let me fail. Don't fail me without even trying. Mm-hmm. So I got the interview, and the woman again was just like every reason why I'm not qualified to be here. And I said, well, give me a week, and if I'm late or I miss or you hear anything bad, then let me go. Yeah. Like, what does it take? You, they weren't paying. Internships are paid now. I, yeah. It cost me $200 a week to get back and forth from Philly and feed myself. I was about to say, it's like you're probably investing more time and effort Facts. just to show up. I was sleeping on my wife's, no, she wasn't my wife at the time. I was sleeping on my wife's couch or I was found, I found an edit suite in the building that I would sleep in the edit suite like to, just to be able to, to cut the time from traveling and commuting back and forth. So the first week, of my internship there, I was terrified because now I'm in the building and I'm interning with NYU students mm. and Berkeley music students and all of these students. But what I realized is my like grassroots DIY style far outshined the the bigger colleges because they were taught a lot of theory, but they couldn't find the record button on a camera. Right. Whereas I didn't know anything about theory, but I could shoot, edit, I could you do had all execution. those things already. Right, and at that point, your job is really just adding value. It's yeah. not like there's, they're trusting you to steer the ship. So all I had to do was find point, pain points for other people on my team and then do those things that no one wanted to do, and I earned my way in. I, inter- I started my internship 2004, September. And by October, I was hired, and I was in charge of all of my, of my intern class, telling them what to do. Wow, I'd love to hear some stories about that time material, because for that, that was an iconic time in pop culture history. I mean, Britney had moments, Mariah had moments, yeah. Eminem had moments, Fifty Cent had moments. Like it Destiny's was it, Child, it, Destiny's God. Child, Kanye. Like everyone came through wow. that space. Everyone mm-hmm. came through that photo booth, and yes. the, the photos of that photo booth tend to go re-viral right, every, right, once right. every few years. Like, love to hear some war stories of the time that you can share. Oh, man. War stories of that time. <laughs> the only story that comes to mind wasn't... It was a war story, and it wasn't at the same time. So, uh, <laughs> as an intern, we started this thing, this first ever TRL Awards. And Eminem was getting like a Lifetime Achievement Award. And at the time, 50 Cent was his newest signee, right? And this was like shot nine times, bulletproof vest wearing 50 Cent. This is not the lovable teddy bear yeah. 50 Cent that we is know he, and love. Is he that much of a teddy bear? He's, yeah. a, he's like one of the nicest guys you'll ever Fair meet enough. in life. But Fair at enough. the time, he was a goon. Yeah. So he had like five minutes in his green room to shoot this like you know, um, this, not acceptance speech, but he basically gave uh, Eminem the, the award and it was like taped. So I'm there filming it and like I'm trying to film it, 50 Cent, you know, big swollen 50 <laughs> Cent is talking to, you know, into my camera and I like knock over the, um, a phone in the green room 
And 50 gets up. He's like, yo, man, what you doing? You see I'm trying to record here? You know, you just knock shit over all in my... And I shrunk. <laughs> my skin turned white. I was terrified. And I wasn't really... A, I was terrified of 50 Cent, but I was more terrified, like, I'm going to lose my job. Like, right. this is, I'm out of here. And he just starts busting out laughing, like, cracking up and, like, picks me up off the ground. Because I'm like, I fell into this thing. And he's like, nah, man, I'm only playing with you. Like, that was, but. Oh, that's like, amazing. Yeah, man. What a troll. Yeah, he was definitely <laughs> He's such a good troll. He, yeah. I should have <laughs> known then. Like, I didn't even, <laughs> even dawn on me that he was trolling me. At that time. But, um, I mean, yeah, war stories for me were just like, I put in, like, hours. Yeah. Hours and hours and hours. Like, I lived in that building. Like, yeah. That, that was really my thing. And, you know, again, my thing was, I wanted to be a sponge. I wanted to learn any yeah. and everything I could. But I wanted to add so much value because I noticed that I was the only black dude on the team it was 27 employees yeah i want to ask about like the what was the team looking like at the time because historically mtv as great as it was in terms of being a pop culture provider for such amazing things like yo mtv raps and TRL and also but that it didn't always represent the audience that it was serving Right. So, like, yeah, what did that tell us a little bit more about what that So, yeah, like. I mean, that was it. I realized kind of early on when I was an intern that big artists would come through that were from hip hop or the R&B space or even black pop artists would come through and, and the 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 content that we were creating with them wasn't connecting. So, what I did was Jay-Z's Fade to Black album and concert was coming, you know, he was coming on to promote that. And I went into the producer whose um, who's, who's assignment he was, and I pitched him an idea called Jigga What, where we took, like, deep-cut lyrics mm. of Jay-Z's and had him expound upon them. So I went into his office, I pitched this idea, he said, that sounds great. He didn't know what to do with Jay-Z. It wasn't like he had some brilliant idea at the time. Yeah. So he let me help him produce it. And Jay comes on, and we're pulling, like, you know, deep-cut lyrics, and he's, like, excited about it. And after every live show, we would have a post-mortem meeting and talk about what happened. Jay-Z came into our meeting and was like, I've been here three or four times, and I've never felt like you knew who I was. Mm. This is the first time I felt like you got me. And then he said, I'm going to be president of Def Jam, and I want to break all my artists on TRL because of this experience. So we got Rihanna first. We got Neo first. We got Jeezy first. We got a bunch of really big Def Jam artists, like before BT, before anyone else, because of the experience he had. But that was the most humbling experience of my career, too, because I couldn't tell anyone that I'd produced that because oh, I produced it for the other producer. I was a PA. Oh, okay. Yeah. So had I took the shine... You were the person behind the producer. I was the person behind the producer. It was my creative. Everything that happened in that instant was, was my doing. He didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Does that buy you... Uh, weight or clout, at least within the smaller team, in order for you to Super. push. Yeah, I bet it did. Like at least you were able to. 
put more ideas forth and then also have a bigger voice in the room and all the things that um, benefiting from a, a, a job well done gets you, right? Absolutely. And at that point, the bar was so high for that producer that he had to come to me every time he had a, um, a hip-hop assignment. And then the other producers also knew that I had produced that, so they started coming to me for all of it. And then that was how I was able to jump from a PA to a producer. Like, I didn't go to AP. I didn't climb the ladder the way it usually works. I jumped because hip-hop was such a huge thing. Yeah. And now Def Jam was giving us everyone, and we were keeping these relationships with all these different outlets that I, they had to promote me. Did they just hire you, or did you do the low-key threaten to quit thing? Bro, I wasn't. I had no corporate understanding. <laughs> I was still being paid one hundred and twenty-five dollars a day, and and still had my my PA title, but I had segment producer responsibilities. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That yeah. was a, that's an amazing meteoric jump. At that Crazy. time in your life, right. You must be in like your mid-20s. Yeah, I was maybe 23. Wow. Yeah. How did you get to Fuse? Because like you and I, we've, we've known each other for a little bit, mm -hmm. I, but we have had moments where we've almost intersected. Right, right, right. Like uh, I was at Fuse TV for a hot minute when there when Fuse News was the thing. Yes. With Ashanti and also I was there. Jack Osborne. And, uh, yeah, a couple of others. Yeah, and I man. was just there for, like, a small amount of time. Shout out to uh, Marcel Karp. Nice. Also. Um, but, yeah, like, tell us, like, I would love to hear about your journey within the the music network space. Because you were an on-air talent there as well. Yep. You're doing a lot of red carpet. Like, how do you make that jump in front of the camera? So, um, you know, so after, so TRL ended in 08. So I was there from 2004 till it ended in 2008. And then, you know, everything in our business is a network. So one of the producers that I worked with at MTV was a, a producer at, um, at Fuse. And so, and it was, what's ill about this is, his name is Eric Clark. He's one of my, my OGs. Oh, yeah, I know Eric Clark. OG Eric Clark. Of course Clark. I know Eric Clark, yeah. So OG Eric Clark hits me up. And at the time, I'm on tour with Chris Brown. I was living with Chris Brown, um, creating the Beautiful People music video. So he hits me up. He's like, hey, um, I have this show on Fuse called The Hip Hop Shop that I need a producer for. He was like, I just wanted to hit you up so you can tell me no so that I can go on to other people. But I just wanted to hear no. And at the time, I was like dying to get off a tour with this 20-year-old rich dude who never slept. <laughs> and I wanted to get back home to see my family because my oldest son, my youngest son, who is now 11, 12, was 12. six months old when Let I left. Let the record show that Esmo was correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was close. He just turned 12, like two weeks That's ago. Fair. Beat it. So he, um, he was six months old yeah. at the time. So like my wife was there with, I have three sons. So Joe was six, Minnie was three, and Mikhail was six months, and she was Dolo. And I was running around, you know, the world with Chris, and I Shout wanted to, Kat, to get off. Who's yes. also in the room as well. She's the beast. The Muse. But yeah, so I was dying to get off of tour and come home. And so he offered me this job. And that's also where I met Jen Demi, because Jen Demi was the executive producer of the show. So my interview right. at Fuse with, with, was with Jen Demi and was with Eric Clark. 
And so that's how I ended up at Fuse was right. just being, uh, you know, keeping in touch with Eric and him being a, a mentor figure to me. And he saw an opportunity to bring me in. And then I, I jumped ship from Chris and then um, made it over to Fuse to produce a show called The Hip Hop Shop. And for the listener, uh, Jen Demi is also the sister of Ted Demi. The GOAT. The GOAT, who was a creator of YoMTV Raps. Uh, yes. And then Jen Demi is also EP of yes. the new iteration of YoMTV Raps. So it's yes. a strong familial through line and also connection to history in a really great way. Absolutely. So um, when you're when you're at Fuse TV, like, are you thinking, like, you d- – d- do you feel that you've wh- – wh- where's your head at? Are, are you thinking, like, this – Where's Pinnacle? Like, what is, I want to be on air, I want to do... I never wanted to be on air. Okay, were you forced into that? I wasn't, I was, I was, yes, I was kind of forced, right? So, um, when I got to Fuse, it was just an amazing opportunity because I was at this, what I saw as a smaller, more nimble MTV, and they, they didn't have a real grasp on digital, and they didn't really have a grasp on hip hop like 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 the the underground. One of my favorite moments was being in that me in an interview with Eric and Jen and Eric sitting there and telling me I don't know shit about this new hip hop. Hmm. But you don't know shit about making a TV show. <laughs> so I need you and you need me. I'll let you do whatever you want creatively, put whoever you want on TV. And just let me worry about the budget and the format and how it works. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Wow, carte blanche. That's it. And that's how we got ASAP Rocky on TV and Kendrick Lamar and like all of these artists who are humongous now. Yeah. But at the time I found them, they were mixtape artists. Well, I I would love to hear about, because I remember that time, it was like 2012, 2013. It was like really that new generation, which is crazy to think that they've been around for a yeah. decade plus now. Yeah, this like, year, Kid, Good yeah. Kid Mad City turns 10. It's unbelievable. Year. Yeah. It's unbelievable how time flies. Like, are, are you thinking, uh, what is your eye, what is your ear telling you that makes them so special? I mean, honestly, this is just a gift. Like, all of my life, I've been able to hear things that I know is going to push the, 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 like, is going to move the needle. I've always had that gift. Like, it's weird. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it's a mixture of all of, of the music that I've listened to. I don't know if it's my education from, from TRL days and being able to spot talent in different ways and kind of watching these different meteoric things. Because it happened at TRL, but no one would listen to me. Like, Drake was on TRL to promote Degrassi <laughs> because Nickelodeon or Noggin, which was a Viacom property, yeah, yeah. had just gotten the rights to air it in the States. Okay. And they had brought played Aubrey Graham. Garrett? He played uh, uh, Wheelchair Jimmy. Wheelchair, wheelchair Jimmy. Right. So they got Aubrey Graham oh, oh, and fun two fact, other by random. the way, my brother-in-law, Ron Oliver, um, he directed the era of Degrassi where... Uh, Drake was was on it. He also directed episodes of Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? And he was he was one of the two people that I consulted. You and him. That's fine. When I when I took the job at MTV, but that's in the side. Good company. Yeah, no, really great company. But yeah, like so. What what is 
Uh, what artist do you think you had the ear for but didn't pop off? I want to hear that. But that didn't pop off? Yeah, that didn't pop off. We were like, oh, I oh, swear. Man. Who, it, like, who, not to get into, like, any sort of, like, you know. I mean, I love I, to talk I, about the dirt, too. Right. I mean, if I name them, you're not going to know who they are. <laughs> like, that's how early it was. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, like, who could have gone there? Who could have gone to, like, the ASAP level? Who could have gone to the to the Kendrick level had, they, had mean, they maybe the right team but they had like the there was this rapper that from Harlem that I love named Esso and this was back in uh, 2008 2007 he was like super early on Bape he was dripped in Bape all the time always wearing Bape this was like before Lil Wayne and then made it hot and like before that like it was he was really early there and he used to write these Dope Covered a lot of history there, past, records, present, and future. That's the way I like, like it. Hope you all got as much out of that conversation as I like, did. Had a ton of fun. Thanks yeah, again to Ben and Bobby for stopping by. Thank you for listening. You can find the First Generation Burden podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast content. Please rate us and drop a review. It helps the algorithm. Go to firstgenburden.com for all the episodes, all 70 of them. Isn't that crazy? All 70? On Instagram, we're at firstgenburden. And you can find me, your host, at rich underscore. He was brilliant. Check out the OG magazine where you can get a written version of this conversation. Link in the description. Thanks to the Desjun team for their support. Thanks to you, the listener. Be safe, everyone. Bye. Almost signed to Atlantic at the time through Sycamore which was which now is like you know super iconic for his work with Travis Scott but Sycamore was like teetering between signing him and another artist and I guess he went with the other one oh but sometimes was paths someone yeah yeah because as an A&R one. you can't just sign everything that yeah. you want like so Esso was one that really sticks out to me um, there's this other kid named James Watts who was oh, another yeah. New York I do know rapper. He was dope. He was early, like, in mixing, like, EDM-ish, like, sounds in his music. And this was, again, at that same time, 07, 08, before EDM. EDM really, really took off here, what, like, 2014, 15, 16? Yeah, now it's huge. He was doing it in EDC <laughs> in Orlando. Yes. Go- yeah, six months ago, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, man. Look but, at this. Yeah, he was mixing, like, real hip-hop, like, rap, like, bars in that on that sound. Wow. So he was just er- too early for Like, it. kind of that hybrid approach, like, yes. before. Right. Now we hear what, like, Girl Talk and, like, all these people incorporating hip-hop into EDM sets, but he was doing it originally. Wow. Yeah. I'd love to hear, or I'd love to talk about this. Yo. Yo MTV Raps, for the listener, there is an awesome clip of Yo MTV Raps playing behind us. And I want to shout out some Yo MTV Raps facts before we get started. So Yo MTV Raps originally premiered on MTV on August 6th, 1988, and it ran until August 17th, 1995. It was originally hosted by Fab Five Freddy, and later on by Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, shout out to Hot 97. Hosted on the weekends, that's when they took over those duties. And also the OG logo was designed by Dr. Revolt, but the OG logo is still, it still has lineage and also presence in the show. So you have helped shepherd a classic, icon of not just hip-hop culture but pop culture back into the ecosystem on Paramount Plus. I would love to hear about how that entered your world. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I know that you are just, you're one of the best live TV producers that I've ever met. 
Thank you. Yeah, one of my favorite stories about you, uh, not to gas you up, although this is about you, so I am gassing you up. Um, what I I had to do a live segment on Fresh Out Fridays uh, with yes. uh, Kevin Kenny. Shout out to Kevin. Right. And um, it was about a sneaker that I just released with Nike mm-hmm. called the, the First Gen 270 Reacts, and it was in 2019. And uh, you were the one that highlighted, hey, maybe we should bring Rich on because we want to do a sneaker segment. And I was like, cool, I'm down. But you coached me through the needs of the live segment the day before, talked me through, prepped me so well for the next day. And also when I was at MTV, you know, we have very busy roles there. And I remember in the same day, I had a meeting with our CMO to talk through work. I had a couple of other meetings that were just at a certain level. And I remember I did the segment, went off without a hitch, thank you. Thanks again to your prep work, but also I asked for full makeup. Thanks. And I'm a and I'm a bald dude. I was like, just take care of this T zone. I just want to like feel good here. And then every, for the rest of the day, you were beautiful. I, I was beautiful. <laughs> like you show you show up to a, a meeting like like on stage makeup looks very specific. Thanks. So you just go to a normal room like normal like fluorescent lighting, and we're just like, what happened here? Uh, for like six hours, I was like, I just, I just showed up to work today. I don't know. So just for the people <laughs> yeah. listening, TV makeup is very flat. Yes. It's no dimension to it. So, so the joke <laughs> is, when you wear TV makeup in the street, you look casket ready. Like that's yeah. how bad the makeup yeah. looks. Not when you have HD and 4K all up yeah. in you, like, like lights everywhere. Yeah, you like. <laughs> Casket sharp. Yeah, but no, but I really appreciate you for, for setting me up, but also it felt so seamless. And I can you know, just also see you work on that other side of the of the camera. I mean, I've seen you work, but seeing you work and participate Thank with you, you in that level. So but I so I can't really think of anyone else that could have helped shepherd Yo back into the ecosystem. So how did that enter your life? So um, <laughs> I was uh, at the Acme on River Road. In <laughs> Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, I was about to at River the Road. Deli, at the deli counter. Okay. Um, Ventura City? No, this is... Uh, Wait, one and nine? River Road? Edgewater. 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 Okay, 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 okay. Yes. okay yeah, yeah. Um, and I was at the deli counter, and um, a good friend of mine who was a producer um, with me on TRL, her name is uh, Melissa Cassis Novis. Shout out to Melissa. Yeah, I love Shout Melissa Shout out Cassis to Melissa. She, you know, she... Joins the the deli line and is like, yo, we're bringing yo back on MTV. She's like, you want to produce it? And I was like, wait a minute. I need to know more about this. And so I start making calls around and then I talked to Jen Demi and she was like, no, it's coming back. Um, But she wasn't involved with it at the time because it was a U.S. thing and she was in international. Yes. So they helped shepherd the international Asian UK. Yes, exactly. That I worked on with Jen um, before. Because once I get in the building to have this Yo! MTV Raps meeting is when they do the old bait and switch and tell me, well, Yo! is, you know, being piloted and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're working with some company out of L.A. to bring it back. But TRL's coming back. You want to produce that? And I was like, I want to produce Yo! Right. And they were like, well, do TRL until Yo comes back. And as soon as that's done, you just jump ship. Right. 
and it never came. <laughs> right, right. No, I remember this was, we were in this it. was 2016, 20, 2017. 2016, 2017. That's when I met you. Well, that's yep. when I consulted you at MTV. Yes. And then I jumped into the TRL rebrand. Yeah, man. And, and that's when, yep, I jumped into the TRL rebrand <laughs> as well, waiting for my chance totally. to, to work on Yo. But what happened was um, International was ready to pick, to, to, to create a hip-hop show. And so I was able, Jen Demi brought me on to reformat Yo for an international audience. Right. And so that was when I was able to, to all of these ideas that I had cataloged for years, like if I touch this property, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And so then that was when the Yo journey, you know, really began in Asia first. Wow. So how, what is the challenge of translating or bringing a U.S. property to Asia, but also Asia is, I mean, the hip-hop community in Asia is really rich and also, For like... years. Yeah, the, the, it's... Um, oh, there was a... When I was in China uh, a few years ago, they were showing me this one um, rap show. It was, like, kind of like the uh, the uh, the voice, but yes, for hip-hop. Yes, yes, and yes. And they were like, yes. yo, look at this show. And I was like, this is the wildest yo, thing I've ever seen. Bugged, yes. Yeah, so, like, what are the, what's the difference between a Chinese audience and then U.S. audience? I'd love to hear about um, the journey to America. So, um, well, the biggest... Or was it wasn't in China. It was It was, it was all over Asia. Yeah, it was Asia. all over Asia, yeah. And that was the biggest part. That was the biggest component, was that, you know, in that territory, they speak a bunch of different languages. Right. So we decided that the one common language between all of them was English. So what we did was um, I created the format so that we could have a, a broad stroke show and then parts of the show, like the videos or the performance or the, um, the, the cipher or the battle was localized. Mm. So like, you know... China, you know, we they got yo with like these bigger Asian artists, but then when it came to like the smaller pieces of content, it was in their language, it aired in their territory only. Oh, okay. So China got a different version than Japan, than Korea, than Indonesia, than wherever else. Right. But the larger show with like the bigger artists, they all saw. Got so it. They so it was like got it was like producing batches yes. that would be distributed to the different territories. Exactly. Wow. So then when it comes to America, like, are you thinking, wow, this is the longest journey ever, finally? Like, what? Hell yes. Yeah. Because so we launched in Asia, then we launched in the UK. Yeah. And then we had Germany and, like, another territory before it got to the U.S. And, and I had already, like, I, I it had been years. And you're on a plane. You're, you're traveling to all these No, I'm not going any because I'm going still anywhere. working for TRL. Oh, okay. So I was doing TRL and doing International Yo! at the same time. Wow. Yeah. So so tell us about this show, the U.S. version. You got, who do you got? You got Conceited. You got, got conceded. DJ Diamond Cup. My guy Conceited. Shout out to Sneaker yes. Wars. Yo, shout out to shout Wild out and to Out. Sneaker. And that, shout out to Sneaker Wars because... That was the time I got to see him host. Yes. I, I knew Conceited. Conceited was the perfect host because he was a battle rap background. Yep. So he had bars and he was respected as an MC, but also funny. Right. And great improviser. La, and great improviser, you know, a la. Um, uh, Wilding Out. Wilding Out, but also the Ed Lover of it all. 
Ed was not afraid to make fun of himself, not afraid right. to you need you know, a goof. be funny. And, you know, he could take a joke. He could give a joke. You know, so that element of the Ed Lover dynamic I loved about him. And then when I what I wanted to do with this show was hip-hop is not just a music. It's, it's a culture. So it's fashion, it's art, it's food, it's sneakers, it's, you know, everything. And knowing and following um, Conceited, I know that he's heavy into fashion. Yep. He's heavy into sneakers. Huge sneakerhead. Heavy into art, in the art space. Yes. So it's like, oh, this guy encompasses all of the elements that I want, you know. He'll be able to speak very knowledgeably about these different things. And um, so it was a no-brainer. And he was already in the the, the the family. Right, right. You know, it being a Viacom um, Easy to get to. Property. <laughs> Easy to get to, but I had to convince, though. Oh, really? They, they didn't want to go internal. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, they were like, you know, think of someone, you know, we had really big talent, like yeah. ideas, but always and forever in my mind, Conceited was the host. So we would put these other people up, but we would be like, but he's the one if you let us give it. And Bruce gave us the... the, the Bruce Gilmer. Bruce Gilmer was like, if that's who you want, then that's yeah. who you got. And Bruce Gilmer, for, for the listener, Bruce Gilmer is one of the OG MTV heads. Like, so OG that uh, when Jennifer Lopez won her Vanguard Award, she thanked Bruce Gilmer. Right. That's, yeah. yeah, man. And you can you, like, someone, it's, as, a, as a television producer who's primarily only worked in music television, you love Bruce Gilmer because he loves music. Right. So we vibe on a different level because we're fans. Whereas certain people just make television. Right. He's like, it's about the music. So so shout out to him for allowing us to take a, a shot on on Conceited and boy did it pay off. Yeah, no, it looks like it. Like on the episodes that I've seen, it, it's so eclectic, but it still has the same energy of the mm-hmm. first show but for a contemporary audience one thing i really love about it is the sheer variety of segments it feels like all the knowledge that you've acquired over the years is really put into the show like not just for the live interviews right. but also for the ciphers the music videos 100%. even the historical packages like what uh, uh, how much of that do you think is a, the culmination of of your entire career within music television as a whole. Yeah, I definitely threw the kitchen sink. Yeah, it looks like a this. kitchen sink approach. So like what I wanted to do with this because again, we're 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 producing for a different audience with a different attention span now. So I didn't want it to just be sit down interviews in a studio. We don't want to just show music videos. So I had to make segments that would feel like music but give you information and give you variety of, you know, different storylines. Like my favorite, like one of my bucket list um, uh, moments was I wanted a Latin and hip hop package. I wanted a piece of content that showed and told the story of how Latinos contributed and were always threaded in a part of hip hop. And that was something that, again, my father would be like, you know, he's Puerto Rican, right? You know, Cypress Hills is, is, you know, Hispanic, right? You know, Big Pun is Puerto Rican. You know, this, like, he would always point them out. So I always knew they existed, but we never got the shine. So I think it's actually good timing because this is, oh, that's great this timing. is the piece right now as Bad Bunny is dancing uh, on screen. 
And like now Latinos are so huge, like hip hop and you know, Latin trap is so huge right now. So um I wanted people to know that it ain't now. It's always been part of it. But um so yeah, and then one of my other favorite moments, um I felt and this was just me as a as a hip hop fan, I felt like Yo MTV raps coming back in twenty twenty two had to contribute to current hip hop. Yeah. It couldn't just cherry pick. So I created this thing called the Yo Original. Because it was a way for us to get original music videos that were exclusive to us that you didn't see anywhere else. But it was also a way for us to create a platform for new artists who you never heard of or you are about to hear a lot about. And going again back to the fact that I could pick these people yeah. all the time. Um, so we did a music video with an artist named Millie's who I love and I've been a huge fan of for probably five or six years now. And um, he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year. But, like, I wanted MTV to give back to the newer artists and add value to them. And then, you know, in exchange, we get to say we gave them that look early. And that was something I prided my career on back to the Fuse days. Like, the thing that the advantage that that I had at Fuse that many people didn't have was I could put you on television. While everyone else was putting you on on the internet, you were going to get on actual TV. And that was still a a big deal to these artists. So, you know, finding an ASAP Rocky, finding the 2 Chains, finding, you know, Kendrick, finding Big Sean, finding um, Mac Miller, finding Mm. all of these different artists before they blow up gave Fuse a certain level of, of cachet. But it also gave me a really big, um, a, a whole lot of cred. Yeah. Both in the yeah. music industry for for being able to pull these new dudes out, but also you know when they really blow up, you know one of they my they can trace f- it back. They trace and, it back. Yeah, you can. Claim, so yeah. one of the biggest moments for me in in my career as it pertained to that was. At the time, Fuse was going through a really big legal battle with Universal Music, which owns like 90% of the hip-hop in the world. And Kendrick had just got a deal with Reebok. And he wanted, they wanted to do some press. And Kendrick's like, I want to go to Fuse and and sit down with Esteban. Yeah, wow. And then this is the era when they were doing the... Um like the traveling truck. It was, it was like a truck yes. bed. And he was doing like the, the concert that would go around. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and so like Swiss was on Reebok. It was like a lot yeah, of, yeah, he was creative him. director, he a lot was, of heads on Reebok. Travis at Scott was a Reebok yeah, was, artist right. at the time. Yeah, like it was a big, it was like a big rumbling, you know. Um, but yeah, so he wanted to sit down and do an interview with me and talk about Reebok and talk about his the sneaker that he designed. And... Fuse at the time was in a legal battle with with Universal, so we weren't allowed to play any Universal artists. We weren't allowed to interview any Universal artists, and so you know Kendrick hit me and he was like, "Yo, this is what I want to do," and I was like, "Yo, well we're we're kind of in a situation where you know this is not going to happen." He was like, "Don't worry about it," and then maybe two days later, you know I get an email that says uh, Universal granted us permission to interview Kendrick 
and only Kendrick. <laughs> like we special still the special request. But yeah, so he he, he got on he the bat phone to use his muscle, you know, for for that situation where most artists wouldn't even care. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like what what does what does any artist care what outlet I'm. I'm going to talk about my sneakers. Where it's like, like, oh yeah, you find one barrier, you just go right. to a next thing. It's like, but right. but that's amazing testament to you and the commitment to wanting to sit down with you, right? To exactly. tell a story. Yeah, man. And we've had some amazing conversations throughout the years. Um, he and I, and me and Mac Miller as well, um, because you know when I did become on air, I would do the festival circuit. I would do the album release. I would do. You know, because I put them on early because I was an on-air personality and I was still a producer. So, like, I was able to get them early and build that relationship and we would just, you know, we were just, like, homies. Yeah, and you just rock it out. Yep. Tell us about the artists that you have in this season of UMTV Raps. Like, who who is on the show? Like, it seems like a, a wide breadth of artists. Yes. But also, I'd love to get into your mind of what does that casting look like? And, oh, yeah. And it was a battle. Yeah, who are you really passionate about? It was a battle. I will say that being a purist and being a hip-hop fan, every rapper that came on the show had to be able to rap. Like, I didn't want, I don't care about, you know, the vibe nowadays it's like well he got he don't really be saying shit but he'll vibe and it's like but this right. is yo mtv raps not yo mtv vibes <laughs> so you need to have bars that was first and foremost and, but also you know there needed to be a variety of of artists because hip hop has a variety of sounds right now so the artist that we got was Freddie Gibbs we got Lotto we got Saba which is another artist that I was super early on um, you know, from Chicago. I love Saba. He's one of my, my, my favorite um, artists. Um, J.I.D. from from Dreamville. Um, we got IDK. Um, we got dope artists that are cut from that yo cloth, but at the same time are, you know, are, in my opinion, going to be the next generation of those greats. Who are who do you think is gonna be the breakout of the class you're bringing? I, and the reason I ask that question is because uh, I've worked on Double XL's freshman class for a couple of years, right? So the year that I worked on 2015, Fed Wap was on it, Vince Staples on it, uh, Dej Loaf, Kid Kid, a few other like awesome artists. And then last year, ooh no, 2020, it was Jack Harlow, Lotto mm -hmm. was on it. Mm -hmm. um, Let's see, Chica, like a uh, Fivio Foreign, like and and I think of those classes as these time stamps, where there is you know you'll see uh, um, future legends in a moment, and then some individuals that maybe don't get to a status, but you know they they're still like in the mix and they're doing their thing. Who is, in your opinion, going to break out from this season? I think it's going to be JID and it's going to be Saba. Those two, in my opinion are going to be the ones from this season. Like, Lotto is where she is. Right. Is she's there, already huge. Yeah, she's huge. Like, is there room for growth? Sure. But, like, it's not really a feather in my cap if Lotto blows up because she's kind of already there. You know what I'm saying? Like, but with a with a J.I.D., someone who's such a particular type of MC, like, you know, he gives me Andre 3000 vibes at times. Um I feel like and and his his work ethic and his 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 versatility 
like, will allow him. Like, I just heard the other day him on a record with John Legend. And it was like, oh, snap. Like, he bodied it. But it's like, oh, you can go here and you can go all the way over there. I feel like he has that that range. I feel like if he got the right record, then people will eat up his catalog and he'd be out of here. Right. That'd just be game over. Right. Wow. All right. So we're coming up on time. There's already been an hour. Isn't that wow. wild? That's bug. Yeah, that is wild. Um, so last question. Get it. Um, well... What do you think? What are your chances for season two? No, it's not the real last question. <laughs> what, uh, what, um, what advice would you give to anyone that wants to go on this path, and and, and you know as honest as possible? Because it's in, the entertainment industry specifically is so tough. It's yes. tough on from almost any angle that you enter it in. What do you think? are the the main qualities one needs to have to find success just as like living as a human being the what do you think are the main qualities one needs to have in order to excel okay so for number one you have to always be a student like no matter where you are in your life and your career you always need to be learning you always need to be evolving you always need to be growing when i came in the game in 04 it was a whole different world than it is in 2022. There was no streaming service. There was no YouTube. So I had to continuously learn and evolve and grow and, and, and challenge myself to stay relevant, to add value, but to also understand the landscape and what was going on. So always be a student. Have a nerd-like focus on understanding technology and especially as it pertains to where content is is viewed um and also don't wait like produce now like do it now like um you know one one of my biggest success stories is this dude right here named claude and um he was someone who i had crossed paths with because he um, was producing content for um, for his website, and you know one of the talent that he found was a friend of mine, and he brought me in, and you became one of the pilot uh, episodes of of Chef Harold's show. Oh yeah, shout out to Chef Harold. So yeah, so we met you know through through that, and he just was so, he was so hungry, but he was so talented. He was already great at doing the work. He just never did it on this level. So when Yo! MTV Raps presented itself and he and I had built a rapport, I bought him on and he killed it. And he was a rock star. Like, But that happens when you're already doing the work. Like, Just go out and create. If you want to be a producer, if you want to be a, a, a writer, whatever you want to do, do it. Put yourself out there and constantly be attacking that. And eventually you'll land where you're supposed to be. You'll find someone. Like, you know, I met him through a friend and, you know, we became friends. And then an opportunity presented itself and now he's he's hot in these streets. He's on Jesus and Merrill's uh, staff now. Like, Shout out to Showtime. On. Shout out you know to Jesus and Merrill. So, yeah. you know, that that's that's the, the recipe for success. Always be a student and be creating and putting your stuff out there. Another friend of mine that, that's an amazing success story that I can't take any credit for is a friend of mine named Charles McBee 
who's an amazing, talented um, comedian and a writer, a TV writer. And he would do these, like, uh, black Twitter talk news segments on his Instagram and on his YouTube channel and didn't get much traction at all and at times wanted to quit doing those things. Um, but, you know, I was telling him, like, bro, just keep going. You're sharpening your tools. You're, you're, you know, you're nailing it. It's such good content. And then um, Charlemagne's show needed a writer. Charlemagne's voice is black Twitter right. talk. It's, you know, a very intelligent. The God's truth. Spin, the God's honest truth. God's honest truth on Fridays, yep. Comedy Central. Very intelligent spin on what is going on in the world from a black perspective. Charles, because of the content that he was creating that he thought no one was seeing, was being seen by the right people. And now he's the head writer of Charlemagne's show. So just do the stuff. Do it and put it out there and keep going and trying to find people to, you know, to put it in front of. You don't need a million views. Charles was getting four. <laughs> but one of them was the executive producer of the Charlemagne show. And now that's all the only right. view that really mattered. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. Esteban, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on the gram at the Esteban Serrano, all one very long Puerto Rican name. Um, <laughs> you can find me there. My website is also theestebanserrano.com. Um, I'm mostly on the gram, and I'm there. And if you, you see me in the streets, then I'm amazed because I'm never out there. <laughs> And also, your MTV Raps is running till August of yes. this year. How many episodes we got? We got eight episodes on Paramount Plus. They drop every Tuesday. Yes, I'm super excited. It's amazing and show. there's 50 OG episodes yes. of Yo that you can go back and do dig through and and, and those are remastered old episodes, remastered. right? Yeah, yeah, man, that's awesome. That's that's like having like. You know, Doctor Strange's library for <laughs> rap nerds like me. Like I can go back and watch, you know, Flavor Flav and and Public Enemy and Wu Tang and Biggie and all these people early in their careers on TV for the first time. You have access to the archive. Treasure trove for sure. All right. Esteban Serrano, thank you so much for being on First Generation Burn the Podcast. Give it up for Esteban. I made it. I made it. My name is Rich Chu and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. Thanks thank for everyone for being so here. Much, and also, man. thank you to Soho House for being such amazing hosts. Thank you so much. That was a really fun one. Shout out to Esteban for walking the tightrope with me. I haven't done a live recording in a while, so that was amazing. Um, and also, thank you for listening. You can find the First Generation Burden podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast content. Please rate us and drop a review. It helps the algorithm. Go to firstgenburden.com for all the episodes. Come back soon for more. On Instagram, we're at firstgenburden. One word, you can find me or host at rich underscore tu on various social medias. Thanks to the Desgen team for their support. Thanks to you, the listener. Come back soon. Be safe, everyone.